new creation. Uh, we're on the 12th part of the series, or the 11th part of the series. And as I was away this week, uh, taking care of, of the Lord's business in Nashville, uh, the Lord spoke to me very, very significantly in the middle of the night that the force, the foundation of a new creation person is love. And I want to pursue that. I don't know how far we'll get today. I just want to scratch and touch on a few things. I sent you an e-blast, a mail, this week for those of you who received it. Um, for those of you who are wondering about that, uh, I don't inundate you with things. We're not somebody who sends something to you every day. Uh, we're not trying to sell you herbal uh, uh, pills and uh, different series and books and asking for money. Very simply, typically, it is to give you a highlight of what the message is or a really brief something uh, that is to inspire you. Well, what I sent out was that the love of the Messiah turned the terror of the cross into a song of victory and gratitude, and that naked, ridiculed, tortured, and disfigured son of man who was horrifically crucified by the greatest travesty of justice ever known qualified him as the Lamb of God and as the one, the only genuine lover to walk the earth. And he offers us an, an even more amazing revelation that we can love just as he loved. That's nearly impossible to comprehend. How could we love to the, to the magnitude of how Jesus loved? We're going we're gonna to get into that a little bit more. And so I asked a few questions. How? How do we do that? It's nice to hear that. We can hear that through many different ministries and sermons, and there's all kind of motivational books. But the bottom line is that the rubber has to hit the road. How do we love to that magnitude, even as Jesus loved? And what do I need to do? What do I need to do to get to that place? How can I grab a hold of this powerful force, a powerful force so great that he ripped the souls of every human being out of eternity and placed them at the Father's throne room? That's a powerful love. And so... We took, looked at the scripture out of the book of John, chapter 13, verse 34. And it reads, Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Now, this is a commandment. Is it fair to say that Christ would not give a commandment that we couldn't keep? How many would believe that? We talked about it as we were finishing worship. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul. And from the beginning of Adam until the presence of Christ, the risen Christ, that was impossible. Abraham couldn't do it. He tried. He fell short. Isaac couldn't do it. He tried. He fell short. Jacob couldn't do it. He tried. He fell short. The patriarchs, as gifted and as blessed as they were, they fell short. All of the prophets fell short. David cried out to God, Lord, will you accept me as I am in my fallen state? And, and the Lord, and he blessed and gave us psalms of how he felt as small as a worm before God because of the things he hadn't done right or did do wrong. And of course, there might be that one person in here or there that wants to dare say that you've never done anything wrong. If that's you, please don't put your hand up because you'll make the rest of us feel as if we're really off the base. 
We've all fallen short of the glory of God. That's the scripture of God in Romans. Every one of us has fallen short of his glory. It means that we're not capable of entering into his presence by ourselves. And so what happens is that we have systems and cultures and traditions and religion. Religion that is built up in different ways and promises to try and connect us with God. Many times you've heard me say, and I'm sure some of you do say, I really don't like religion. I don't like religion. Uh, I've had a lot of religious background, a little too much. Uh, I, you know, was blessed to attend a, a Catholic high school, got a great education, and three and a half years of catechism. It was a good foundation. I didn't believe any of it, but I got it. Um, I attended the university and I got a major degree in philosophy with a minor in religion. And I learned about all the religions in the world. I didn't believe any of them. I then pursued in the Jewish temple, going back into the roots of my ancestors with everything I had and got so deep into the law that I found that the law was breaking me and literally almost making me insane. And then I realized that that law permeates most religions because we are told if we do this, we'll get to there. And if we don't do this, uh-oh, we're in trouble. And so instead of having a confidence of, in God, that in the love of God, we are trained, even by nature, to pursue something in our own energy and in our own right so that we can feel like we attained it and at least hold on to it for a while, but you see that always comes with a challenge, and that challenge is what happens when we fall short of it. When we fall short of what we think are the things we should do in religion, we're devastated, and we're crawling and scrambling to get back, or some just don't even try anymore. And so much of the world looks at what we call religion and they say, I don't want that. And to be honest with you, I can't blame them because it doesn't pursue and show the love of God. So I want to just go through a few things here and set a standard that I believe we can build on again next week if the Lord wills. Jesus said, as I have loved you, just as I have loved you, that you love one another. Well, that just as could be considered an almost unreachable condition or it could be a promise. The promise could be, and by the way, I challenge you all the time to become a little Jewish with me, and that is to say, let's go from the right to the left instead of the left to the right. You also love one another as I have loved you, so that you could love one another, I give you this commandment. You see, the Word of God is a declaration, it's a commandment. When God says something, it's yes and amen. And we put a hyphen on, uh, an exclamation point. We say, in Christ Jesus. Well, if Christ says, love one another, then that means we can. And it means that he's equipped us. And he's given us the key to that revelation. Love one another as I have loved you. Well, one time I was getting prepared to go preach in Mexico City. And uh, my wife and Say Reese and others were ahead of me there a few days and they were part of the worship dance group. And I was brought in as the speaker for Easter Eve. That should be an easy sermon, right? Anybody who can't give a sermon on Easter Eve, something's wrong with them. 
And uh, I was in my hotel room, and the man that was on before me was finishing up, and it was about 11 o'clock at night. I was to go on at noon. I'm, I'm sorry, at midnight. And uh, was supposed to go about an hour or two, but we ended up going till daylight, till 6 in the morning. And I was watching on television in my little room as they were celebrating or at least commemorating Easter Sunday, Crucifixion Sunday, around Mexico. Well, there, as you know, some of it gets really, really harsh. And uh, this one whole town that was named after a saint uh, had a whole procession that they were known for, and they would choose a young man at the beginning of the year, and that man would be trained and groomed to become Christ on the cross. And he would be bloodied up, and uh, he would literally get to go up on the cross and hang there, not with nails in his hands, but tied up there with thorns on his head, blood coming down his face. And the people that were standing there would sometimes thrash themselves so that they too could suffer as Christ suffered because they called it the fellowship of suffering. And as I looked at that and I thought the deep contrast about what I was about to preach was the love of the cross to what I was seeing, I said, oh my God, is that what I'm walking into? Because it was a large crowd. It was over 100,000 people in the center square of Mexico City. And I was just horrified at what I saw. And then I just felt the anointing of God creeping into my spirit and telling me, and, and, and I heard this voice, his voice inside of me saying, son, my people are bound by religion and they're trying to please me with it. Tell them that I love them, that there's nothing they need to do or can do to capture my love. I already love them. I so love them that I gave my only son for them. And now they're my family. And I'm the God of love. And so my pronouncement to us again this morning and to those of you who are with us is that God is the God of love. And as I was sharing we really can't comprehend his love unless we first of all know him and call him father. Because an existential God is just that. An existential God that we need to touch through someone else isn't a father. He's somebody else's father. An existential God that we need to learn through a religion, right of religion, isn't a father. I mean... If you were born to a father, and some of us have had issues, yes, but if you've ever been able to experience the love of a man, of a father here on earth, even if he wasn't your, your birth father, you begin to understand that there's something different in that heart that accepts you as you are. And even though there might be a rift, that father says, that's my son, that's my daughter, that's my child. And that father shouldn't let go. Some do. It's a travesty of humanity because without Christ we can't love the right way. But in this instance, we see that it's the love of the Father that transferred through the Son to us. And because of that, when we know Him as Father, then we accept Him as His child. And if you are His child, He's a perfect Father. He's the perfect Father that I wish I was and would have been. He's the perfect father that any man who's honest would say, I wish I was. Or any woman as a mother would say, I wish I was as honest and true and genuine as the father is. 
And if you ever want to hear a twist on that, come on Mother's Day, because oftentimes I preach about the motherhood of God. God's a nurturer. And he created both man and woman in his image. And he gave them his likeness. And he blessed them. The only comprehension we have of that union of the love of God here on earth is when we look at the beauty of a mother and father giving birth to a child. That's the love of God. That's the precious love of God. And just a little sideline, I want to bless, I want to bless the Senate and legislature and the Governor Abbott in Texas for signing the law they just signed. I want to bless them. And I want to bless the Supreme Court, the five members that stood strong and said, we are not going to overturn that. You deal with it back in the states. And I want to believe God that this, this state of Ohio was supposed to be the first one with the heartbeat bill. How many of you know that? And then Governor Kasich, he rejected it twice. Maybe that's why his career's over. And maybe it should stay over. I don't like to get into politics, but when it comes to the unborn, and let me say something else. I want to bless the Catholic Church for never yielding to the politics of blessing abortion. I wish I could say the same for many evangelicals and denominationals. Many would say, I'm not touching that on my pulpit. I'm going to offend people. I'm not trying to offend people. I'm trying to save lives. Those little children. God bless that priest who told this president, I won't let you take communion because you're breaking one of our biggest laws. God bless that priest. God bless that priest. Stood up to the president of the United States. Said, I don't care who you are. God is greater. So, I know I get off, I'll reset. My wife's back there wishing it to me. Reset, reset. In this study of philosophy, one thing that I learned, and one thing I know, and it is true that in, in that study, we were trained to look at what was the first cause, what was the first mover, what was the first thing that caused something to begin. Of course, they got lost after that with all kind of other things. But as we want to understand how to walk in victory in Christ, how to hold on to the truths of God, how not to just be another one who says, I'm a Christian, no matter what the denomination is, right? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter where that is. If you believe in Jesus Christ, then you profess Christianity. And, and, and you are called a believer. You are a believer in Jesus Christ. And so we want to see what is the prime mover? How is that prime mover? What is it that set something in motion that allowed you and I to become new creatures in Jesus Christ? Well, John makes it clear. And I want to look at the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. It was the love of the Father that compelled him to sacrifice his only begotten Son as the Lamb of God himself. God so loved the world 
That's the primary force. That's the mover. What put it all in action? God's love. Whose love? The Father's love because He gave His only begotten Son. It's the love of the Father. And it's the same love that Jesus has. One's not greater than the other, but it's the love of the Father and the love of Jesus of the Father that compels. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died for the love of God. The love of God compels us. Another interpretation says it constrains us. Paul was telling the Corinthians, I can't be other than what I am. I can't do other than what I am. We must be who we are because the love of God compels us. I like the translation that Weymouth gave of it, and this is what he said. For the love of God, and what he did was he broke down the Greek into the different syllables and prefixes. He says, for the love of God, get a hold of this, overmasters us. Overmasters us. The master overcompels us, restrains us, requires us, constrains us to be able to love just as he loves. This is the revelation to the key of the mystery of love. That is that the love of the Father compels us. Now, how is that administered? It's administered through the Holy Spirit. It's not administered by a book, by reading the Word of God. I know theologians who I have a lot of respect for, but they have no relationship really that's personal with God. They don't know the love of God. They know about the love of God. Do you know, I, I want to just deviate onto this a little bit and be open. You know, one of the requirements, I think, if you're trying to be a sincere pastor is to be transparent. You know, a lot of people put their pastor's up on a pedestal, then they've just been perfect all their life. Well, there's a person went to high school with me. She knows better than that. It's good to see you. I mean, if there was probably a vote in high school about the guy least likely to ever become a pastor, I might have won that vote. And she's, she's saying yes. And I, I, I have to tell you, not only was it amazing how the Lord met me at a time when I was totally shattered and broken and religion wasn't working and I called the, the, my, the, my, old past, my old priest, he couldn't help me. I called my rabbi, he couldn't help me. I called everybody I could call, nobody could help me. But it was the love of God administered into me by the Holy Spirit by himself that I didn't even know who the Holy Spirit was. I knew about Ruach HaKodesh because of Hebrew and, 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 and my Jewish religion. But I didn't know about the Holy Spirit. I knew this as another name, Adonai. Adonai is not Abba in Hebrew. Adonai is the Lord God is one. Abba is Daddy and Father. I didn't know him as Daddy until he embraced me and loved me into his arms. And even then it wasn't enough for me. You see, I'm a hard nut to crack. I know most of you are really easy, but I'm a hard nut to crack. And, and I always had that will and that desire to jump ahead and to get it over with and to accomplish it and, and to be progressive, to get things done. And, you know, our faith requires patience. Our faith requires peace. Most of all, our faith requires love. And after I would, came out of 
of, of that life of pursuing him in orthodoxy, Judaism, because I wanted to try that too. It was only when I finally gave up after I accepted Christ, but I didn't feel the love of Christ. I remember the first time I went to a church and I saw people saying they loved God and they were crying and they were embracing God and they said, God loves you. And I'm thinking to myself, he loves me. This is the love of God. I lost my family. I had a judge tell me I couldn't see my daughter because now I said God was speaking to me and I might do something stupid. I lost my business because all my Jewish accounts left me because I was preaching Christ in the temple. I was broken. I was down to nothing left. I was living in a shattered house on Selma Avenue with no electricity, no water, all by myself, sneaking into the Y and then having to ask God to forgive me all the time for stealing a shower. Everything I had, I gave away because I thought that would make God happy with me because I read in the scriptures that you know, if you're willing to leave mother, father, son, daughter, everything for my sakes, so I said, well, I could do that. I just, but I never measured the cost. Had nothing, not even a car, nothing. Gave it all away. Sat there in the dark, in the cold. And then I would go and Christians would tell me, God loves you. I said, God loves me. This love is too hard. This love, I don't know this love. And then finally, I reasoned. I reasoned, you know, if you love me like that, then I'll do whatever I want to do. Because this love isn't working. And so I did. I willfully decided to fall away from God. It lasted six months. And I didn't compromise. I didn't tell people, oh, I'm still, no, no, I told people, I'm a sinner. I'm sinning. I am I am in rebellion against God. I didn't say God wasn't real because I knew better now. But I said, I'm in rebellion because I don't like that love. That love there, I don't think I could live another month that way. And probably wouldn't have. I don't know. God knows. But something happened. And I shared this before, but I want to share it again. Because two women who I tried to avoid, two Messianic women two Jews that loved Jesus that I helped start the first Messianic church with in the first month that I accepted Jesus, they wouldn't let go of me and they would keep coming to my house. And I told you this before, but I want you to get this message straight. They were relentless of their love of God for me. They didn't have an agenda. They didn't need me. They loved God so much that they were holding on to me and they must have believed that maybe they were the only thing that was going to keep me from going over the cliff because I sure was headed there fast. And I actually wanted to, to be honest with you. And then finally one day after they knocked and knocked and knocked at my door, I finally opened it up. I said, what? They said, just come, come with us to service. Just one more time. Okay. They also promised me nice matzo ball soup, so. <laughs> and that was good. And I got some side dishes, and they cooked really good. And I was hungry. I hadn't eaten in about three days, so food will get it. I came back to my house, and I said, Lord, I don't know about this love thing, but I do know 
about obedience and I've disobeyed you, so here I am. I'll suffer the consequences. You do with me as you want. If you're never going to use me again to preach or teach or do anything and all the visions and promises you told me, I don't care. I just have to know I'm okay with you again because I can't live like this either. And then I hear, heard him very clearly through the Holy Spirit in my soul, deep into my spirit. And I'll, I'll explain to you spiritually what happened in a moment and then we're going to finish with that. The Holy Spirit spoke to me. And I heard the voice, and it was the voice of the Father. He said, Son, I love you. Welcome home. Welcome home. The love of a father. The love of a father. And the love of a mother. When a child's gone and they're wayward, all you want them is to come home. Just come home. Come like you are, just come home. I love you anyway. I love you anyway. Because you're my life, you're my blood, we're family. That's who you are to Father God. You're his likeness, you're his child, you're his family. And the whole reason Jesus Christ paid that price was to give back the family to his father. And he prayed in John 17. He said, Father, those whom I give you, keep them in your name that no one can ever pull them out again. That's what he prayed on his way to the cross. Whenever you're feeling shaken, whenever you're wondering, where's God in this circumstance? Close your eyes and see that visual of the hand of the Father, and there you are. And written across that hand is his name. The name above all names, the name by which every knee must bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. He holds you up. He says, mine. You can't have him. You can't have her. Mine. And I put my name on them. They have my name. Bless the Lord. So what happened? I was going through my library and I took out a really old book. You can see how old it is. It's actually, the pages are colored and stuff. Uh, I have a couple libraries. I have one here, I have one at home. I have a bunch of books everywhere. I'm like a book freak. And uh, this was called Let God Love You written by uh, Lloyd John Ogilvie. It's an old one. And one of the chapters in it, uh, I was reading that this morning, early. One of the chapters in it, he says, empty the cup. How do we learn to love God? How do we find the love of God? Because I've told you many times, if all you get is a sermon that wants to drag you back into religion, to me it has no value for us. If if I were able to preach with all of the wisdom of, of, of the Bible and be as, as charismatic as possible and as entertaining as could be, and there was nothing there that would help us to live practically in God, then it's worthless. It's nothing more than entertainment in a show, some bravado, 
some television ministry. <laughs> Been there and done that too. Empty the cup. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. I could recite it without the Bible. It's become foundational for me. It says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Stop right there. We have to make a conscious decision to pursue the love of God and to allow the love of God to pursue us. Now, God will overwhelm you at different times in your life and he'll capture you. And I remember once praying with a woman whose child was so gone in drugs, she hadn't heard from her in a couple years. And I prayed, I said, Holy Spirit, I ask you to go after, pursue that child, capture her, bring her home. And the miracle of the story is two weeks later, the child came home and the mother and I praised God that it was the Holy Spirit. God will capture people and bring them back because he loves them so much. We could fail multiple times in things of life, but if we're persistent and believe God, and even sometimes when we don't realize that it's God who's doing it, He'll move on our behalf. You know, the righteous person may fall seven times, but God will lift them up and direct their steps. Righteousness isn't achieved by religion. It's not achieved by the things we do. It's achieved by you believing that Christ is in you. In fact, Isaiah told us that your own righteousness is like filthy rags to God. It can't get you there. I was talking to a, a friend, actually, at our reunion Friday night. I love him much, and he might probably will come. And he was asking me things about how God got to me. And he says, but I'm a good man. I said, yes, you are. You've always been good. I never saw you once in detention when we were in high school together. And I said, but that's not going to get you to heaven. He said, I've heard that before. I said, it's a truth. And I said, I would not love you if I told you that you're a good man and that would get you into heaven. I said, because it's the righteousness of Christ. Here's the scripture. He was made sin who had never sinned that you might be made the righteousness of Christ, of God in Christ Jesus. He was made sin. He took our sins. It wasn't more than he just died on the cross for sins. He became our sins. And only he could do that because he's eternal. And that happened in an eternal dimension. It happened in a way that we can't comprehend by this mind that's not in Christ. But let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Next verse, please. Who being in the form of God did not consider robbery to be equal with God. Christ is God. Christ was God. Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Christ became God in the flesh, incarnate here on earth. And we know the whole history. I don't call it a story, it's a history. It's factual. We know the whole history that that man never sinned. But he was made sin who had never sinned so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. And there's a consequence to sin. And we do, do well when we shortchange the testimony of Christ and say that he wasn't punished for sin. Yes, he was. The Psalms are clear. Paul's clear. Who's he that ascended, but first he descended? The soul that sins must die, Ezekiel cried out. So the soul that sins dies, and a soul that dies in sin only has one place to go, and it's not to heaven. And that's where the Son of God 
descended for each and every one of us, not because he had sinned, but because of he took our sins. But something had to happen. He was God. He was God himself. And there was a conversation that we sort of hear about in one of the prophets when the Lord is saying, who will go? And the answer is, I will. The father said, will you go, son? And the son already knew the answer from the beginning of time. Yes, I will go. And he knew what the ultimatum would be. He knew what his fate would be. The greatest travesty of justice there ever was. The greatest just man and person to ever walk on earth tried for being just, tried for speaking the truth, tried for being the Son of God, tried because he didn't like religion, tried because he called those who promoted religion vipers and snakes and their father is the devil. That's why I don't like religion. I've seen religion destroy a lot of people. I pursued religion on many fronts. It doesn't work. There's a self-gratification that comes in for a little while, like I'm getting there, I'm doing something, but then when you fall short, there's no safety net. Who being in the form of God did not consider it, and a better word for robbery is to be a hypocrite, to be equal with God. Next verse. But made himself of no reputation, reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Underlined, but made himself of no reputation. That word comes out of kinesis, and it, kinesis is like Connecticut, kinetic, like moving, something put in motion. But in this word, it's ikonis. And ikonis says that he made himself of no reputation, and it goes further. The interpretation is that he emptied himself out, and that's why Ogilvy, he didn't quite get the same revelation I got, but he got one. He says, empty the cup. He emptied himself up. What did he empty himself out of? The glory, because the glory is the essence of God. He emptied himself out of the very substance of God that makes God God. It's like what blood is to the life of man, glory is to the life of God. He emptied himself out of it so that he could become the form of a bondservant, a human being, and coming in the likeness of men. Because he emptied himself out, he was now qualified to be filled with the love of the Father. And so we learn if we empty ourselves out, that's how we become capable to love just as he loves. We have to empty ourselves out. Of what? All the stuff that gets in the way of love. The unforgiveness, the bitterness, the gossip, the things that deter us, the hurt. Hurts will keep us from loving. And these things are natural to the human being to say, I guess I'm going to carry these the rest of my life. But Christ said, I've come to give you my life, this life here on earth now and abundantly. That's what a new creation creature is. A new creation creature has a different testimony. A new creation creature understands 
Let's close with 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Starting in verse 16 now, please. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Now, let's put this in context. This is a letter to the Corinthians written from their apostle, Paul. He founded the church. He's writing to believers, not to unbelievers. Unbelievers who are not filled with Christ are walking in the flesh. There's no in-between. There's not a foot in and a foot out. You're either in the Spirit or you're out of the Spirit. There's no such thing as an in-between. There's no color called gray in the Bible. It's either light or dark. You're either in the light or you're in the dark. Trust me, I tried it. I tried one foot in each. does not work. It's a slippery slope. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yes, he walked here in the earth on the flesh, yet now we know him this way no longer. We only know him in spirit and in truth. Next verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Let me set this straight. There's no such thing as a genderization when it comes down to the species of man in the Bible, right? He made them both male and female man. So if anyone is in Christ, he, she, that person is a new creation. And here's the blessing. Old things have passed away. The hurts can be gone. The diseases can be gone. The bitternesses can be gone. The unforgiveness can be gone. The offenses can be gone. Only Christ can do it because He is in your past, He's in your present, He's in your future. He will go with you to those places and set you free. And the one whom the Son sets free is free indeed. That's called new creation. Old things have passed away unless we hold on to them. And we will hold on to them unless we receive that supernatural force called the love of the Father. I'll tell you what, I was sharing this with somebody the other day, Darnell Paul. And uh, Darnell and I hadn't seen each other since we graduated 51 years ago. And I don't know how it came up. And I was telling him, I said, Darnell, I was at a conference and uh, some guy came up to me and he was really erratic. He was walking like this. I thought maybe I was going to have to fist fight him. I didn't know what was going on. He was looking at me and doing these kind of motions. And, you know, I'm saying, oh, boy, this might have been a guy I had a street fight with someday in the, in the past. I don't know what's up here with him. He gets up in my face. And he points almost to the agitating me. That finger was pretty close. You know, I don't know about you. I don't like fingers in my face, right? And finger in my face, I want to bite it. And it's pointing at me, and I'm saying, okay, grace, grace, grace. God, give me grace. Give me grace. I don't know what's going to happen with this guy. I know you say that if somebody smacks me, I got to turn the other cheek. I really don't want to have to do that. Let's, let's not get there. And he's pointing in my face, and he says, 20 years, 20 years I've been angry at you and I want you to forgive me. He started talking about it. 
I said, stop right there. I said, sir, please don't be offended. I don't even know who you are. I said, so it's good. It's good. Well, I, I said, no, I'd rather not hear it because that'll just clutter my soul and my spirit. We're good. If you say we're good, we're good. And if I did something to offend you, I'm sorry. And I don't even want to know what it was. We're good. He carried that for 20 years. 20 years. Probably every time he saw my face or heard about me or something, he got angry again. And I didn't even know who he was. Didn't even know who he was. I had one man tell Jimmy he was mad at me because I didn't use him to clean out some drains at an old church we were in that I gave the job to somebody else. Well, the other guy was cheaper. I'm not going to spend God's money that way. He was mad at me for 35 years. I'm sure you have similar stories. We don't have to carry that garbage. Christ has set us free. And when the love of God compels us and we really yield to it, we are blessed because behold, all things have become new. Wipe the slate clean. All things are new. All things are new in Jesus Christ. Amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you would, please. My eyes are the only one open. I promise you that in my hmm, 40 years, 41 years of ministry, nobody has ever stolen anybody's purse or wallet when I've asked them to bow their head and close their eyes. I got you covered. If you're saying this morning, here or on the air in Africa and India, wherever you're at in England, those who have tuned in to us in this country and here in this house especially, if you're saying, Pastor Frank, I'm just going to step out in faith and I'm going to ask for the this new force of love of God to flood my heart and I'm going to jump the wall. I'm going to jump the wall from religion or no religion or offenses or hurts or illnesses. I'm going to jump the wall and I'm going to believe God for his overwhelming love to flood my soul and to set me free. I'm going to take that chance. It's the biggest, the biggest decision anyone could ever make in their life. Because everything here will pass away. But this is forever. This is eternal. If that's you, and you say, today, today, Pastor Frank, quietly, I'm not going to call anybody up. I'm not going to stand anybody up. I'm not going to point on anybody. I don't go into all of that. If that's you, every eye closed, every head bowed, I'm just going to ask you to Slip your hand up real quick. I see you. I see you. Yes, I see you. Yes, I see you. Yes, I see you. Put them down, please. Father, and I'd like everyone to repeat this prayer with me. Father God, I love you because you first loved me. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe he came to earth in the form of man. I believe he was made my sin. Even though he had never sinned. And he died on that cross for me. He suffered the punishment of my sins. 
He resurrected on the third day. And he resurrected in his spirit as Jesus Christ, my Lord. Jesus, come into my own heart. Take me back. Make me new. Make me fresh. And Father, heal me and set me free from all the baggage of my life. And Jesus, show me how to love just as you love. Be my Lord. I give my heart to you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Oh, I feel the presence of the Lord in a mighty way in this house. <laughs> Wow. Such a, such a, such anointing of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for answering my